1: Press conferences, executive orders, meetings with foreign leaders. There's plenty to follow in the first 100 days of the new administration, and NPR News will be there, digging deep into the facts and bringing you multiple points of view. Listen every day.
0: Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, controversy in the state house as lawmakers consider a bill... That could force Mississippi universities to fly the state flag or risk loo- losing funds. Keep
2: rocking this baby till we get it done. As long as I'm here, we're going to keep seeing this amendment till we decide whether we're going to have a flag flying at institutions of higher learning that people are getting state dollars for or not fly a flag.
3: Some people call it the state flag, I call it the rebel flag. And I guarantee you, go to my community and ask everybody what that flag is. They'll call it the rebel flag. They will not call it the state flag.
0: Then the upcoming deadline for disaster recovery assistance. Find out how you can apply before time runs out. And later we'll hear from an author and her book on vaccines and the politics that fuel debate. Mississippi universities that refuse to fly the Confederate-themed state flag could lose tax exemptions and funding. This is the latest twist in a long battle over a symbol critics see as racist. All eight of Mississippi's public universities have stopped flying the flag because it prominently features the Confederate battle emblem, angering supporters of the banner. The State House voted 57-56. Excuse me, the vote. The State House voted 57-56 Wednesday to withhold proposed tax exemptions to two public universities the University of Southern Mississippi and Mississippi State University. Excuse me again. Republican Representative William Shirley of Quitman wrote the flag amendment. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier universities should fly the state symbol without regard to the design if they receive state money basically just says if uh, an
2: institution of higher learning doesn't fly the state flag, they... uh, on that particular amendment, uh, they don't get a tax exemption for USM and, and MSU. But it, it's an amendment that's designed to go against the university, I don't want to say against the universities, but uh, to basically institute them to fly the flag of the state of Mississippi. This is not a design argument. The, the argument is whatever our flag is, if you're getting state dollars, you should fly it.
4: Why did you decide to offer this amendment?
2: Uh, Of about 99% of my constituents and and others across the state say institutions of higher learning should be flying our flag if they're getting state dollars.
4: Will this apply to other universities beyond the two that were listed, Mississippi State and USM?
2: Uh, This particular amendment will not, uh, but there's further amendments to come.
0: Representative John Hines it's a Democrat from Greenville. He disagrees with Shirley. He tells our Desiree Frazier he sees hope for understanding.
3: We've really been trying to be very progressive, movements Mississippi forward. Um, as you know, when you go around the country, sometimes we laugh and stop based upon simple stuff like that fight. I understand heritage, but it's a shame that people would want to hold up progress just because of heritage.
4: I noticed that you were having conversations with Representative Shirley, so you have a rapport outside of this issue. How do you deal with that?
3: I treat people the way they treat me. Uh, I try to have conversations with everybody. I think the only way you understand a person is to get to know a person and have some conversation. I think part of the problem in the state of Mississippi, people don't take time getting to know each other and have conversations. I can disagree with you, but I don't have to be disagreeable.
4: Do you think that your relationship with him will benefit bringing about a resolution to this that all of the state can adopt? Well,
3: I think what uh, Shirley really wants is uh, institution to fly the state flag. Now, what he's told me is that he does not care what the state flag is as long as it's the state flag. And uh, I understand his position, although I don't, I don't agree with our current state flag. What I will say is that this is part of the process. People have the right to voice their opinion, they have the right to submit legislation and try to change the way they see the state of Mississippi. I would hope that we would sit down and begin to have dialogue about how we all see the state of Mississippi.
4: This bill, right now, only impacts USM and Mississippi State, correct?
3: Well, yes, ma'am, but there was conversation about putting the rest of the uh, institutions inside this piece of legislation so they could have opportunity to bring in private investors to boost up their college campuses. So I don't know how this will factor in later on down the line. Uh, I'm hoping that that particular uh, member won't make it through conference.
4: What happens to this bill now?
3: Well, um, it'll go back over to the Senate, and hopefully they'll invite conference, and we'll be able to go back and uh, work on this particular uh, legislation. There's a reverse repealer in it, which means that as soon as it passes, it will die. So they're going to have to go to conference anyway. The uh, university president's, we're very bold and brave by uh, trying to change the image. As, as you know, that uh, most NCAA teams won't uh, participate in bowls and, and big games in the state of Mississippi. I think California just said they were not going to participate in several uh, games in several states, and Mississippi was one of them. So we, you know, we need to be wise about what we're doing when it comes to the future uh, of our state and how we foster tourism and grow economically. I just wish people would take time out, get to understand what's important to everybody, and we really need the state to grow. Uh, with us cutting taxes in the way we have and budget revenues being short, we need to find ways to generate new money. And we need to start thinking outside the box and begin to have conversation with people about changing how we see this state and how people view us more important.
0: Representative John Hines from Greenville with MPB's Desiree Frazier. The bill will go to the Senate where more universities could be added or the state flag amendment could be dropped. Coming up, find out how much time is left to apply for disaster recovery assistance from state and federal emergency management agencies. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio.
1: MPB's At Issue has the 2017 legislative session covered from all angles. You'll hear each week from Mississippi's most influential elected leaders at the state capitol. MPB political analysts, Republican Austin Barber, and Democrat Brandon Jones provide insight on the critical issues facing the state and how these issues impact you. Join host Wilson Stribling for Mississippi's only statewide television news program, At Issue, Fridays at 7.30 p.m. on MPB-TV
4: i'm robin young iceland went from having the worst teen drug problem to almost none at all by getting kids into new sports and art centers
1: if people are getting addicted to self-induced changes in brain chemistry that could be translated into drugs why not start a natural highs movement where they could become influenced to change their brain chemistry in positive ways next time here and now today at noon on MPB think radio
0: The window for applications will soon close for Mississippians affected by severe storms and tornadoes that hammered Forrest, Lamar, Perry, and Lauderdale counties in January. Joining us are Alberto Pilot from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, Ray Coleman from the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency, and Jack Kemp from the U.S. Small Business Administration. FEMA's Alberto Pilot says the March 27th application deadline is coming soon.
5: We'll be here as long as the state needs us for the recovery effort, but the registration period ends at that date. So we want to encourage any uh, homeowners, renters that are still either out of state or have family members that know of somebody that is still in need of any assistance to still call that 1-800-621-3362 or disasterassistance.gov. Once you get a grant dollars, you get a letter that specifies exactly what the dollars are granted for. Basically, our rental assistance, home repairs, uh, and temporary housing needs personal property if you needed to purchase appliances or furniture. I want to really emphasize that FEMA is an immediate needs agency. Uh, we don't bring you back to whole. That's why our partners with the FDA, once you talk to them and the long-term recoveries will be there to meet that gap once the immediate needs are met. So we want to make sure that the listeners know that we are a coordinating agency here with the state. Also, I want to encourage also that homeowners can also apply with FEMA uh, once they call their insurance companies and they do settle Keep in touch with FEMA always because remember, you want to make sure that Every letter that anybody receives, any documentation, it's important to keep in touch
0: with FEMA. Alberto Pilot is the public information officer for FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency. Next, we're going to talk to Jack Kemp, who is the public information officer for the Small Business Administration, or the SBA. Since grant funds for recovery, rebuilding, and renovations are sometimes limited, what kind of low-interest loans or other assistance is the SBA offering? Well,
6: the Small Business Administration is offering loans to homeowners to repair their real estate damages that are uninsured up to $200,000. And both homeowners and renters can borrow up to $40,000 for personal property losses. And the interest rates on those loans are as low as one and a half percent for up to 30 years. So they're very affordable.
0: And of course, I have to jump in because people hear small business administration and they think business, but you're helping homeowners and renters.
6: That's right. In fact, the large majority of the work we're doing here in Mississippi has been on behalf of the homeowners. We've made uh, nearly $4.9 million in loans. Over four and a quarter million of that has been to the homeowners here in Mississippi.
0: Is there overlap between what FEMA can do and what SBA can do?
6: We work hand in hand. So we're, we're covering the uninsured, uncompensated losses.
0: Should everyone apply with FEMA, or do they need to apply individually with FEMA, with you at the SBA, and with MIMA?
6: Well, everything starts with FEMA. Everybody should contact FEMA if they haven't done so and register. Now, most homeowners and renters and all businesses will be referred to the Small Business Administration. If you are referred to the SBA, then we'll be getting in touch with you, and you'll want to go ahead and apply for the loan with the Small Business Administration. You can reach the SBA at 1-800-659-2955. Information is available on the web at sba.gov, and you can apply online at disasterloan.sba.gov slash ELA. And we also have representatives at the FEMA Disaster Recovery Centers to assist people come by and visit
0: us. Jack Kemp is the Public Information Officer for SBA, and now we'll speak with Ray Coleman, who is the Public Information Officer for MEMA, the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. MEMA staff will still be local to help Mississippians with recovery. Are there upcoming deadlines now for state assistance?
5: No deadlines on the state assistance side. Again, we're working in conjunction with FEMA. So the only deadline that we want to kind of push and get, get out there right now is that March 27th deadline for you to apply for that assistance. You know, for us, it's all about long-term recovery. And the long-term recovery is going to begin and end with communities because it starts at a local level and ends at a local level.
0: You have had centers, you know, physical places where people can go and get their questions answered. Uh, are those still in place?
5: Yes, ma'am. We have a disaster recovery location here in Hattiesburg. It's the C.E. Roy Community Center, and it's open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., and it's also open on Saturdays, um, 10 a.m.
0: to 5 p.m. Ray, can people come to you to apply with FEMA? Can you steer them in that direction? Because it gets a little complicated, I think, with the three entities providing assistance.
5: Sure, sure. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of like drinking water through a fire hose, right? Um, so for us, we, we, we kind of look at it as we have a one-stop service center on our website, msema.org. The homepage on that website has a one-stop service center that has not only MEMA's information, but it's going to have SBA's contact information. Their website is also going to have FEMA's contact information and their website, the um, Disaster Recovery Center that I just named. That's on there. We also have information if you want to donate or volunteer uh, with the Greater Pine Community Foundation. All of that information is on our website because a lot is coming in at this time, and so we want to be sure you have kind of a cheat sheet, if you will, if you need to quickly uh, locate that information. We have it for you.
0: People may be reticent to do it online; they're not comfortable doing that. So, if they come in to see you in person, what kinds of documents should they have with them?
5: When they come in, they just need to have that pertinent information: uh, their address, obviously, social security. Um, information, driver's license, those things, those important documents that you're going to need when you come into a DRC. Now, on the flip side, um, if someone comes to you, first and foremost, you want to make sure that you see their ID, um, whether it's MEMA, FEMA, or SBA, we all have ID on us to, um, properly identify. So you don't have to give that information out.
0: Does somebody have to determine the damage to your home before you apply?
5: Not before. Again, we want you to come in and take care of all of that information first and we have inspectors that have been coming out, um, taking a look at the area, taking a look at that damage, and, from, and, you know, we can take that next step from there. We've had a good turnout. We've had over 2,000 registered, so that's good. Um, but we just want to make sure that no one is left behind because, again, eventually the deadline will be here. It's March 27th. If one person is left behind, there's one person too many, in my opinion. So we just want to take this time to say come in and apply, and then from there you can learn what's available.
0: Ray Coleman is the public information officer for MEMA, the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. We've also spoken with Jack Kemp, the public information officer for the Small Business Administration, and Alberto Pilot, who is the public information officer for the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Gentlemen, thank you all so much.
5: Thank you for having us, Kim. We appreciate it.
0: Coming up, a new book about vaccinations and their effect on public health and on politics. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio.
6: The Home Show is back at the Mississippi Trademark this weekend, March 10th through the 12th. And the host of the Handyman Hangout, Fixing 101, will be there taking care of business. Come hang out with Jeff, Dale, and Jason and see what's new in DIY and home renovations. That's the Home Show this weekend at the Trademark. And be sure to listen to Fixing 101 every Wednesday, 9 a.m. on MPB
4: Think Radio. <laughs> Work hard to offer a high-quality, unique product, and you need an audience that appreciates this. MPB listeners go out of their way to find diverse perspectives and award-winning news and programming. Make our audience your audience with an MPB underwriting credit. For more information, go to mpbonline.org.
1: at issue has the 2017 legislative session covered from all angles you'll hear each week from mississippi's most influential elected leaders at the state capitol mpb political analysts republican austin barber and democrat brandon jones provide insight on the critical issues facing the state and how these issues impact you join host wilson stribling for mississippi's only statewide television news program at issue fridays at 7:30 p.m on mpb tv
0: I'm Robin
4: Young. Iceland went from having the worst teen drug problem to almost none at all by getting kids into new sports and art centers.
1: If people are getting addicted to self-induced changes in brain chemistry that could be translated into drugs, why not start a natural highs movement where they could become influenced to change their brain chemistry in positive ways? Next time, here and now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio.
0: This is Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Immunization has become a public health debate at the state and national level. Meredith Wadman has written a new book called The Vaccine Race, with frightening viruses constantly emerging and re-emerging around the world. She says vaccines are are increasingly important. She joins us in this week's book club.
7: Polio was the one that was the most terrifying in its consequences, But in terms of actual deaths or sicknesses averted, probably measles and looping cough are right up there near the top of the list.
0: We've all heard of Jonas Salk. He developed the polio vaccine. We don't necessarily know the names of the others. You know, when I was a child, if you didn't have German measles or measles or mumps, if one of the kids in the neighborhood got one of those, then everybody went to their house to get infected so they would have it as a child, not as an adult.
7: Yes, there were so-called measles or mumps parties, and that's because some of these diseases indeed are more deadly or have terrible consequences when you contract them as adults. Mumps, for instance, can leave adult men sterile. So it's that kind of thing that I think people were trying to avert in pre-vaccine days.
0: Your book starts with a story of a baby born premature with severe problems. Tell us the result of that.
7: Sure. This was a little girl born at Philadelphia General Hospital in October of 1964. It emerged as she spent increasing weeks and months in the hospital, that she was blind, she was deaf, and she had major heart defects. She had heart surgery, but in the end, that did not save her, and she died uh, at age, I think, 16 months. And the mother mentioned in passing to doctors after a time that she had had German measles while she was pregnant. And in fact, that is what German measles, also known as rubella, the R in the MMR vaccine, did to more than 20,000 babies in this country during this epidemic in 1964 and 65 before any vaccine was available.
0: When vaccines were created for these diseases like German measles and measles and mumps, how important were they?
7: Well, let me give you for instance. In 1958, there were 763,000 cases of measles, and there were 552 deaths, the lion's share in children. And so five years later in 1963, when the first measles vaccine came to market, you can bet that parents were lining their kids up to get that vaccine. Measles was no joke. When it infected a toddler It can invade the lungs, it can invade the brain, it regularly kills in a a certain segment of children, and still can do today in babies too young to be vaccinated or in people who are immunocompromised who, for instance, are taking immune system suppressing drugs because they've had an organ transplant. Measles is deadly and it's wildly contagious.
0: There are still a lot of viruses or diseases that have no vaccine. I mean, AIDS, Zika, West Nile, Lyme disease. Can we expect that over time that there will be a vaccine? Is there anything from farther back that a vaccine has not been found to treat?
7: Well, you just named several of them. And I do think we can expect with time that we will get to vaccines, although HIV has proved maddeningly elusive on this score. But, for instance, the World Health Organization announced last month that they are hopeful that by 2020 there will be a safe Zika vaccine that can be used by women of childbearing age. There's sophisticated technology and lots of projects going on with, I believe, all the the viruses that you just mentioned.
0: The book is called The Vaccine Race. But still, as much as you race towards a, a cure of something... You can only do so much over a certain period of time?
7: That's right, because today you have to go through very careful uh, vaccine trials, beginning with a handful of healthy volunteers and then advancing into larger numbers of volunteers and then finally into people at risk for the disease So it's a long, arduous process. It can't happen overnight. And so there's a certain frustration level when, say, there's an Ebola outbreak in West Africa and everyone's like, well, let's get a vaccine. Well, that doesn't happen overnight. It's a marathon.
0: I'd like to end with your thoughts about the vaccine controversy. People who do not want to vaccinate their children because they fear the consequences are far more dire than if their child actually got the disease for which they're being vaccinated.
7: Vaccines have largely been a victim of their own success in this country. We don't see kids in iron lungs or in leg braces from polio. We no longer, with any regularity, lose toddlers to measles or whooping cough. However, what's vital to recognize, with hesitant parents especially, is that it is simply because we continue to vaccinate that we don't see these diseases. If you start to fall below about 9 out of 10 kids being vaccinated, you are playing with fire in terms of more or less inviting that disease back into your community where it can get a foothold among unvaccinated people. So I would just echo the letter that 320 medical and health organizations sent to President Trump last month, in which they said, vaccines are safe, vaccines are effective, vaccines save lives.
0: The book, again, called The Vaccine Race, we've been speaking with its author, Meredith Wadman. Meredith, thank you so much.
7: It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Karen.
0: Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, MPB Season Pass. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app in any mobile store. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. robin young iceland went from
4: having the worst teen drug problem to almost none at all by getting kids into new sports and art centers
1: if people are getting addicted to self-induced changes in brain chemistry that could be translated into drugs why not start a natural highs movement where they could become influenced to change their brain chemistry in positive ways next time here and now today at noon on MPB think radio mpb's ad issue has the 2017 legislative session covered from all angles you'll hear each week from mississippi's most influential elected leaders at the state capitol mpb political analysts republican austin barber and democrat brandon jones provide insight on the critical issues facing the state and how these issues impact you join host wilson stribling for mississippi